welcome to another episode of um, Autistic Liberation Theology. I'm really thrilled to have Avery again as my guest and we are both really looking forward to this episode and have been uh, teasing it in the last few episodes and yeah, Avery, do you want to tell us what the episode is going to be about? Sure, yeah. Wait, should I also introduce myself? Or Yeah, yes. Okay, okay. For anyone who hasn't heard the other episodes with me in it, I am Avery Arden. I was going by Avery Smith, but I'm in the process of changing my last name. So yeah, I'm Avery Arden. I use they pronouns. I graduated from seminary in Louisville, Kentucky in 2019. And today we are talking about John the Baptist as an autistic person and also his cousin Jesus as another autistic person. And we're going to be talking about um, autistic joy and something that Laura has coined as magnotism, which I love. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, th- uh, that's that's what we're talking about today. We'll also dig a little into like the idea of the kinds of support that parents can give to their autistic kids. And um, we're also we're going to end with a little bit about Jesus and Peter. So, yeah. Yeah, it's going to be a long like uh, stretch over like the New Testament and mm-hmm. yeah, bits and pieces. And yeah, I'm trying to kind of summarize the pitch and then Avery is going to read uh, the Bible passages. Mm-hmm. And we we decided to kind of cut the thing in three big pieces. We will first talk about John's parents, Zechariah and Elizabeth, and um, what is said about them and about John's conception, about the pregnancy. Then the second part will be the meeting of Mary and Elizabeth, where the babies are both in the womb, and we will talk about that part and what we uh, read into that. And then the third part will be autistic connections, uh, like the the feeling you have uh, when you're with other autistic people, and um, also the lack of that feeling, and we will revisit uh, a passage uh, that we've talked about before where there's conflict between uh, Jesus and Peter. And then we will use some pop cultural references as <laughs> usual. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Avery, uh, the Bible is yours. <laughs> <laughs> Heck yeah. Um, so, I'm just, I'm going to start with reading just the first passage um, for our first part. Um, it's Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 23. Um, It's the longest passage, so don't worry. The others will be a bit shorter. And it starts like this. There was in the days of Herod, king of Judea, a certain priest, Zechariah by name, of the division of Abijah, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Now they were both righteous in the eyes of God walking in the ways of the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, and blameless. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in their years. Now it came to pass, while Zechariah was fulfilling his priestly service, when his section was on duty, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to burn incense after entering into the sanctuary of the Lord. Now the whole crowd of the people was praying outside at the hour of the incense offering, and an angel of the Lord revealed himself to Zechariah, standing at the right side of the altar of the incense. 
And Zechariah was disturbed upon seeing them, and fear overcame him. But the angel said to him, Do not fear, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear a son to you, and you shall call his name John. And he will be joy to you and gladness, and many at his birth will rejoice, for he will be great before the Lord. Wine and fermented drink he shall not drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel towards the Lord their God. And he will go forth before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of parents toward their children and disobedient ones to the wisdom of righteous ones, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zechariah said to the angel, How will I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is getting on in years. And answering, the angel said to him, I am Gabriel, the one who stands close by the face of God, and I was sent to speak to you and bring these glad tidings to you. And look, you will be silent, not able to speak, up to the day these things take place, in return for not believing my words, which will be fulfilled in their appointed time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the sanctuary. After coming out, he was not able to speak to them, and they recognized that he had seen a vision in the sanctuary, and he was making gestures to them and remained deaf-mute. And it came to pass, when the days of his service were fulfilled, he departed home. Then after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and secluded herself for five months, saying, this is what the Lord has done for me in the days in which they looked upon me, to take away my disgrace among human beings. The end. <laughs> for now. Oh, there's so much great stuff in that. Let's unpack it. Yes, yeah. And in case anyone's wondering why I thought we should start with Elizabeth and Zechariah instead of John himself, um, in our own day, there are sometimes there are some people who believe that Autism is a result of something the parents did, um, especially the mother, right? Um, there's accusations of being a refrigerator parent that you didn't give your child the right kind of attention when they were an infant, or that you did something while you were pregnant with them that made them autistic. And so there's a lot of blame. Or even the, the whole vaccination stuff oh. just came to my mind. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That whole nonsense. Yeah. Yeah. You uh, saved your child from polio and you made them autistic in the process. How dare you? Sure. Um, and I see some links in this idea of uh, disability like autism being a punishment um, as something that has existed for a long time. People always want to know why things happen, especially if those things are viewed as a bad thing. Um, that the way that disability, unfortunately, is often viewed. Um, people want to know what went wrong for it to happen. And it's the same in a lot of the biblical cultures, where disability, like what Zechariah um, goes through for just that brief time before John the Baptist is born, that, that um, muteness, um, which, by the way, y'all, I only just realized this today, he wasn't only made mute, he also was um, deaf for that time. That was the package that was kind of goes without saying, apparently. Yes, yeah, that culturally, um, both in a lot of like the Hebrew Bible and then also in like Greek and Roman culture, muteness and deafness were so closely associated that if you say one, you can sort of imply the other. Um, and so he's also deaf. 
So I was I was curious to explore what is the reaction to people around him to this sudden disability. And I also wanted to look at how Elizabeth's own disability is viewed, because at that time, infertility was also seen as a disability. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So just to start with Elizabeth and her infer- infertility, which, as far as we know, is just something that she's lived with her whole life. Um, and of course, it's very possible that Zechariah is also infertile or is the only one infertile. But at, at the time that this was written, it was assumed that it was, of course, the woman who was infertile. Um, thanks, sexism. Um, in the cultures of the region that the Bible is written in, the average person would assume that someone was infertile because they did something sinful. They did something wrong, and this was a punishment from the divine. But Luke 1 makes it very clear. It mentions that um, both Zechariah and Elizabeth are righteous in the eyes of God and that they are blameless. They've done nothing wrong. Mm. Um, so it's just a nice um, little sort of nudge against people who, who believe otherwise that these people didn't do anything wrong. And it's, you know, we see that throughout the Bible. We see it with yeah. Abraham and Sarah that they also are described as righteous. And what was it? With, uh, um, Hannah, the mother of Samuel. Yes. Well, yeah. so, yeah, was uh, really pious even. Yeah. What was I going to reference what you said uh, before? Uh, how, how the people reacted to seeing Zechariah's disability. Yeah, right. Yes. I was I was surprised to see that once Zechariah comes out of the sanctuary, um, the the people are waiting for him because he's he's done his sort of the the prayer that the priest does alone inside the holy of holies, and then the priest comes out and is supposed to give a a benediction that like announce it to the crowd, right? Well, he comes out and he can't vocalize the benediction because he can't speak, and. I would assume that the people would think, oh, oh, shoot, he did something wrong in there. He's been cursed. He's been punished. Mm. But instead, verse 21 says that they understand, they recognize that he has seen a vision from God in there. Yeah. And I really like that sort of, that for me as a reader of the Bible is like a nudge to remind me that not everybody in biblical times had these stereo- these assumptions about disability. Yeah. Um, that they are able to see this as as a sign of a vision instead of a, a curse, which I think is also really helpful in understanding why Gabriel made Zechariah mute and deaf. Because I always thought of it as a punishment, right? Because in the verse, it, Gabriel says, because you didn't believe what I told you, you will be unable to speak until John the Baptist, until John is born, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We assume that's sort of a, a negative consequence, but it could just be the cause and effect. And also, Zech- like this, it could be the sign that Zechariah asked for. Zechariah asks, how will I know that what you tell me is true? Well, Gabriel's reaction is to give him a sign, the muteness, the deafness, that, that it's true, that this is really happening, right? Yeah, he can't just dismiss it and say it was the smoke. Right, yeah. <laughs> I really also like this um, fan fiction that we made about if John is autistic and autistic children or autistic people are sometimes nonverbal, that uh, this is kind of a training period for Zechariah. So he mm-hmm. kind of um, knows words aren't the only way you can communicate and don't dismiss your son when he doesn't talk. Yeah. Um, that isn't the only way you can talk to, to, to people. 
Yeah. And language kind of exists even out of like spoken word mm-hmm. and that he 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 was going to like God was preparing him to having uh, a, a child that was was different from the the rest of the children and that this was his training period. Yes, yes, I forgot we talked. I'm so glad you remembered that because I love that little <laughs> fan fiction um, <laughs> that yeah, like you said, like the the testosterone gaining compassion because now Zechariah will know what it's like not to talk and he's probably been practicing coming up with different like okay this sign means this this gesture means that and he can use those with John so yeah mm-hmm. I love that and then I think the last thing I wanted to say about Zechariah being um, deaf and mute is that verse twenty three mentions that when his time for service was ended, he headed home, which is how it worked in the priesthood. He is part of there's like a whole it's almost like this whole like army of priests who have different like scheduled days that they have to show up to the temple, and it's only for like two weeks per year for each for each of them ah, okay, and so Zechariah, he's in his allotted two weeks. And then when it's over, he gets to go home and be home for, you know, the rest of the year or however that works. Um, I like that it mentions that it was when his time for service was ended that he headed home. It wasn't cut short. He could still perform his service even though... Exactly, yeah. Yeah, they weren't like, well, you can't speak anymore, so go on home. You're, you're not allowed in the sanctum anymore because... Right. Yes, that's nice. I, I didn't know that about that a lot of time, but that that's really so he could still fulfill his his two week stint. So yeah, yeah, is what it seems like, which I really like. Just because I mean, like in Leviticus, there are rules against what like priests can't have certain disabilities. Yeah, yeah. Um, deafness and muteness are not part of that list, but blindness is, and a whole bunch of other things. Um, so it is nice to have that confirmation that they didn't see him being deaf and mute as a reason to send him home. Yeah, and and possibly that not only the public did recognize that he, he had a religious experience, but also his, his colleagues, his fellow priests. Yeah. They weren't kind of, mm-hmm. oh no, you, you can't, you, you did something wrong, obviously, let somebody else do it, but they, they could also accept that, that this was perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that is like that's so important. We have like to to be believed. Yeah, and have your narrative of it um, be believed, and not put another narrative on top of it. Like, right? No, no, no. You must have done something wrong. We know better. This fits our narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Now we should definitely talk about uh, the naming of John. Heck yeah! Because there's so much in there. Yes. Yes. Oh well, actually. So yeah, uh, we can. I'll I'll read both of the next segments because they go together uh, when we talk about uh, what Zechariah has sort of learned as he in preparation for having this kid um, we also can talk about what Elizabeth learns and what Mary um, so Elizabeth and Mary are related yeah Mary is simultaneously pregnant so she goes and visits Elizabeth and um, yeah they they have this this experience that is related in Luke chapter 1 verses 39 through 45 In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leapt in her womb, 
And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me, that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. Um, and then the the passage goes on to be um, Mary, basically, after Elizabeth says, my child leapt in my womb for joy, Mary's response is to launch into the Magnificat, her, Magnificat, yeah. her famous praise song, yeah, um, where she says, like, ba- basically, God is incredible because God looks upon the humble, God casts down the mighty and lifts up the, up the lowly. So um, sort of praising God for being this being who upturns the status quo, which is a very autistic thing. Yeah. Um, and then before we keep talking about that, I'll continue to um, verse seven, 57 is where we pick up with Elizabeth giving birth having, of course, she bears a son, and it says, her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown his great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him Zechariah after his father. But his mother said, no, he is to be called John. They said to her, none of your relatives has this name. Then they began motioning to his father to find out what name he wanted to give him. He asked for a tablet and wrote, his name is John. And all of them were amazed. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue freed, and he began to speak, praising God. Fear came over all their neighbors, and all these things were talked about throughout the entire hill country of Judea. All who heard them pondered them and said, What then will this child become? For indeed, the hand of the Lord was with him. I just uh, I just like that they... Um... They don't try to to speak to Zechariah. They already adapted sign language. Mm-hmm. They gestured towards Zechariah, so they they have already kind of accepted uh, this new way of communication. Yeah. It's just I hadn't noticed that before, so I just yeah. wanted to throw that in. Yeah, and like he has a tablet ready to write on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the thing that I always wanted to talk about in the story of Jesus uh, and John in the womb was this feeling of mutual recognition. Mm-hmm. This feeling of, oh, there's someone like me. Oh, there's someone who might understand me. And that that feeling that, as we said before, fair warning, we are reading John and Jesus both as autistic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> whether you like it or not. Yeah. <laughs> that is something that people, whether they know they're autistic or not, experience throughout their life that they get they are drawn to other autistic people because we understand each other on a on a level that is sometimes hard to describe yeah it's kind of it's easier it's a nicer flow it's less masking and or no masking and it's um even with like different neurodivergent groups like uh this when when autistic people call each other neuro siblings Yes. Sometimes autistic um, people call ADHD people people neuro cousins. Yes, cousins. Uh-huh. And um the term that I'm try- still trying to establish is magnetism that autistic people are drawn towards towards each other. And this feeling I I know that there are friends of mine when I first saw them I had that feeling that person will understand me. Mm-hmm. 
that person might get me. And it was kind of an instinct, instinctual thing, like an instant relief of, oh, I want to be friends with that person because that feels safe. Yeah. And that feels joyous. And that, yeah. This, this idea of, of John leaping in Elizabeth's womb with joy. Yeah. And sending joy to Elizabeth and also sending joy to, to kind of the other baby. They recognize each other, however that's possible. Two wombs, <laughs> but um, then also kind of making Mary uh, recite her famous prayer and be being really, being really excited. And this is um, and I I love that it's described as like Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. Like what is going on here is something holy yeah. and is like the there's divine activity in work at work in this in the in the magnetism in the recognition of yeah yeah like oh someone like me is nearby i'm leaping for joy and then and then that extends outward to yeah elizabeth and then to mary and it just it just ripples outward and that makes me so happy <laughs> and i i know that this is a, a different word that, uh, that is used in that bible passage uh, of uh, the creation of eve mm-hmm. when adam is basically didn't connect with the yeah. other creatures mm-hmm. that weren't just not that's not the same. And then uh, Eve was created, and then someone like me. Oh yes. yeah, now now I... at last. But mm-hmm. but that feeling of I know you. Mm-hmm. you, you're familiar. This this feels safe, and that that is a really like um, really basic human need. Yes, yes, to have that connection. And later, when we talk about not having that, we might expand about how does it feel to 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 crave that and not have that. Yeah. But um, for now, this feeling of autistic joy and what some people call uh, autistic oxygen, <laughs> when autistic people come together and um, click and merge, and that feeling going to Artscape um, for the first time or every time ever, like since or to other uh, autistic events and just feeling like I can breathe now. This is, this is how, how this should feel. This is how, wow, I'm really good at social interactions. I'm really yeah. good at making friends. <laughs> yeah. When you realize you found your people. Yeah. And later on, we might talk about some pop cultural uh, references that fit into that narrative. Mm-hmm. But what I liked was your interpretation of Autistic people spreading joy even to non-autistic people. And I really Mm -hmm. like your interpretation uh, of that with that story, if you want to elaborate. Yeah, yeah. And I, um, yeah, like I said that this joy between John and Jesus spreads outward into Elizabeth and Mary and then afterward into Zechariah in the second half. um, Because after Zechariah says his name is John and... Every, the the people the neighbors kind of freak out like what is this kid going to be like Zechariah launches into his own famous prayer which uh in Catholicism is often called the canticle of Zechariah I I don't know um if there's other words for it but he basically praises God for um saying like oh because of my son like God is going to like bring liberation and mercy to the people um so another like mary is about like the status quo being upturned it's that same idea of liberation of the oppressed yeah and it 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 all stems from john who is just a baby at this point and already the autistic joy is resonating outward in a way that i totally see 
when not not to like <laughs> be like I'm amazing like this, but I have had experiences with non-autistic people where my passion gets them excited too. And like I've had, mm-hmm. you know, I've led Bible studies and stuff for various church communities. And the feedback that I'm most like sort of honored by or flattered by is when people tell me that my passion for the Bible or for theology got them thinking, like get got them more excited too, that they were sort of able to feed off of my excitement. Yeah, yeah. It makes me really happy. I know that that feeling. Yeah. I know that getting that feedback, you're really enthusiastic and you do everything 100% and you do everything with joy. And for me, that's normal. I can't imagine not doing that. Yes. <laughs> but, but yeah, I, I like this idea of the joy spreading because it, it shows us that it's not only the non-autistic world that can do things for us, right? That autistic people have gifts to offer their communities. In preparation for this, we, we also talked about how one of the many gifts that autistic people bring is a form of liberation. Mm-hmm. Like the thing that Zechariah mentions, or that Mary mentions, in kind of uh, not believing the status quo, yeah. being a bit more immune to social pressures, to social rules that are harmful, um, questioning stuff, um, being... What was your term? Autistic defiance. I yeah. really like that. Mm-hmm. Autistically defiant. And that in in many liberation stories in the Bible, that is the liberation. That's basically, you've been told a lie by society, by the ruling yeah. class, by um, the people in power. Yeah. And you don't have to believe that. Right. People told you you're not worthy, you're not beloved, you're not righteous. But God says something different. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. this making yourself free from, from uh, the things that have been said about you that were not true, right. that that is an autistic gift, yeah. that can be a prophetic gift. That's yeah. Um, I mean, that's my experience, for example, talking about mental health. <laughs> I'm, I feel like... I don't really have a choice but to talk about it, but it, because I need to explain mm-hmm. when my mental health is bad, and so yeah, it's a it's a matter of survival for you. Yeah, yeah, that you have to. Yeah. And I I I try to find words that explain my struggle to other people, and then suddenly it's kind of, oh, actually, I feel similar, and actually, mm. kind of, you need mm-hmm. somebody to start yes. uh, to to uncover the fact that so many people. Are, are struggling and are suffering, but you need that. You need that that child in the emperor's new clothes, mm-hmm. who who stands there and and tells the truth, and suddenly the the illusion is lifted. Right. Yeah. And autistic people do that all the time, and mm-hmm. and Jesus does that all the time, and yes, yeah. John probably too, and many many biblical prophets. Yeah. Yeah. John the Baptist absolutely does, and it gets him thrown in prison. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Right. Decapitated and everything, and yeah. But yeah, first it gains him a lot of like people flock to him, and they realize he has something to say. Yeah, and that gets the people in power afraid that he that he's has this sort of enticement on the people. Yeah, that things can be different. That liberation is coming. But yeah, like you're saying about like autistic people, for a lot of us, either because we don't like for a lot of us social rules don't come naturally so it doesn't occur to us that it that we're not supposed to question the way things are 
And then the the second half is even once we've learned, especially when we're older, we've learned that we're not supposed to question the way things are, but our survival depends on doing so anyway. Yes. We sort of naturally start with that intrinsic defiance, and then we have to continue to cultivate it. Yeah. Or or we can't survive. We can't be whole because the world wasn't built for us. Yeah. That yeah, absolutely true. So that can that can be liberating for other people who might survive but struggle and suffer. Yeah. But to to to, to liberate them too. Yeah, because they might be able to sort of survive and make it through but they're not going to thrive and so like jesus who shows a way to abundant life not just not just a life of getting by keeping your head down yeah we're headed towards this abundance that yes is enticing to everybody if they have the courage to to listen and to see yes yeah and zechariah elizabeth mary these are parents of of children that we are that we find autistic that Laura and I say have this autistic resonance it's really it's really refreshing to find parents in the bible of autistic children who are willing to listen and who are yeah. are able to respond um in verse 17 um back in the first passage we read where Gabriel um Gabriel's talking to Zechariah he's telling Zechariah what John will be like Gabriel mentions that that John the Baptist will turn the hearts of parents toward children. Mm-hmm. I love that so much. I mm-hmm. love that so much. Because so often we hear sort of the opposite, that children need to sort of like unquestioning, unquestioningly obey their parents. But no, um, John will turn the hearts of parents toward children and sort of open them to that idea that, oh, children have something important to say. Yeah. Um, and I think for autistic children with non-autistic parents, that is vital to the to the thriving of both parent and child, like to that whole family. So often when it comes to especially non-autistic parents having to decide whether to side with societal pressures and norms or with their own child, they often feel compelled to side with society. Yeah. And um, this is so content warning. This is um, talking about filicide. This is the narrative that when when a non-autistic parent murders like their own child and they get no sentence or just a really minor sentence yeah uh, then uh, it's basically you see this this whole this this kind of alliance between the parents and society of they had to do it because it's so hard and it's so, such a such a burden right and and it is it is murder <laughs> it is child murder it is yeah, and, and for autistic people reading that over and over that narrative, uh, that's really destructive. And yeah. the sentence that has emerged from that protest is, be your child's first ally, not their first bully. Right. It is understandable to be afraid of all the harm and all the uh, discrimination your child, when your child is different, that it's going to be live, going to live through. But then don't be one of them. Mm-hmm. Tell them that that is wrong. Tell them they don't deserve to be treated like that. And don't make them feel like, yeah, society is right and you should change. Right, yeah. Forcing them to try to change things that are not changeable. And and that shouldn't be changed because when they are embraced, it's a real gift. So I have decided to give Zechariah a special status as... like. 
I love that you, you at Christmas you did this thing about Joseph being the ideal ally. Yeah, yeah. About not really getting it at the beginning, but learning yes. and being supportive. And Yeah, once he finally gets it, he is 100% on board. Yeah, Zechariah can be another. <laughs> There's this whole thing about um, what, what you're going to call your child John, but there is no John, like this breaking of tradition and mm -hmm. the whole the whole village basically being this is wrong yes you just you don't do that yeah and and being very sexist about oh well the mom yeah, yeah, yeah. elizabeth might must just be confused i'm sure the father doesn't want us want to do that and i had this image in my head of zechariah affirming his son's name his name is john mm -hmm. that we should declare zechariah the patron saint of parents of trans kids yeah Yeah. That uh, somebody standing up, holding kind of a banner of my kid's name is what they say it is. Yes. My kid's name is this, accept it and stop mm -hmm. questioning it. And also to, that is something that yeah, many autistic people, children, wish their parents would do kind of. Mm -hmm. My son is like that. My child is like that. And, and I love that child and accepted everyone mm -hmm. to have an ally. My child is like this get used to it i'm on their side yeah absolutely yeah um and with um zechariah in particular like you like you mentioned like we can understand a little bit where parents are coming from when they they lean towards that societal pressure for zechariah as a priest he is someone very he's high up and well respected in his community it probably is dangerous for him to break with convention to a certain extent yeah um so that when he insists on breaking that naming convention, no, his name is John, um, the response from the neighbors is to be afraid. <laughs> I thought that was so interesting. It, it was it was kind of a combination that he wrote, his name is John, and then... He could speak. Yeah, it says, he asked them for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John, and all of them were amazed. And I'm... I haven't checked, but I would I would bet that word for amazed in the Greek is this one word I see a lot that means like shaken up, like sort of shocked. Yeah, yeah. And then immediately he could talk and fear came over the neighbors. So that combination of him supporting his son and like being like, no, this kid is going to be named John, then being like, what the heck? And then suddenly he can talk again and they're like, oh my gosh, this kid is scary. Yeah, that's... <laughs> Oh, I, I just I just feel how much that triggers my feeling of I don't want people to be scared of me. Yes, yes. And feeling how to have to, to do all this emotional regulation for other people yeah. that can't handle me being me. And I don't even know what it is. And I just want to make them more comfortable around me. And yeah. then I mask and I adapt and I, I fawn, I people please. And I just this feeling of people bearing, being irritated by you, this feeling of... yeah. I don't know what's worse when people laugh at you or when people are scared of you and it both feels horrible and I know it so well and I just yeah I, I, I feel that very deeply this what this minor thing affirming a name is scary and to you why is that scary and that is something that many trans people can relate to right yeah and it's because it questions the status quo yeah. it questions the idea that gender is a binary that is set in stone um and with autism apparently autism is so terrifying that you would yeah. rather withhold vaccines from your child because you think they could get autism from it like you'd rather your child die of a preventable disease yeah than be autistic that is like you said like it's so crushing it's it's really painful to realize that's how people view 
people like us. Like, yeah, yeah, we're not that scary, <laughs> and we're not. No, be, your child being one of us isn't sort of a. It doesn't have to mean that they have a, a bad quality of life. Yeah. Um, and of course, once you add more factors, the fear becomes even more like intense. Like, if you're a child of color and or a person, an adult of color who is autistic. Yeah. That is viewed as yeah the the fear is even more sort of visceral from people who see a black autistic person having a meltdown in public that can that can get them killed and that that a uh, huge number of especially black men being killed uh, they are neurodivergent yes yeah because people see blackness and they see mental illness or neurodivergence as scary you combine the two and suddenly people paint this picture of a monster in their heads when it's just a human being. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why it's so important for parents to be that that first ally and not that first bully because we need, like, people who are autistic or any other marginalized group need people in their corner. Yeah. And I mean, there are there is one story in the Bible when Mary also gives in to this societal pressure and then mm. it's basically... Your son is teaching weird stuff. Yeah. You better pick him up. And yeah. <laughs> uh, then this whole family is kind of trying to to rein him in and mm -hmm. stop embarrassing himself in public. And yes, and it even says something about like what someone says like your kid's basically acting insane. Yeah, yeah, he's crazy. That fear of having the the crazy kid that needs to be reined in. And then, then Jesus' judgment is quite harsh by saying, okay, <laughs> uh, if family means you're supported, then those guys here are my family now. Yeah. Who is my mother? Who is my brother? It's not you guys if you're acting like this. Yeah, you've just proven that you don't actually know me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But yeah, for, for Zechariah, Elizabeth, and Mary, they all managed to break free of those conventions. Um, even like you said, like if Mary pretend, like slips up later, yeah. um, I think that story is told in Mark, but yeah, like overall they, they're on their child's side. Yeah. Um, and especially like Mary leans into disgrace as like becoming pregnant b before getting married. Like, yeah, yeah. The social stigma and the danger and yeah. And she does so joyfully because She's she's excited about this child who is a very different, like is going to have a life path that's very different from what most people expect for their kid. Yeah. But she's excited about it. And and John is going to be like it says, live in the wilderness. Like yeah. I just imagined him being kind of running free and being a child outdoors and already uh, developing an appetite for locusts and honey <laughs> and yeah, we talked about this, that this might be his autistic same food, mm -hmm. that many autistic people have very selective uh, things that they can always eat, that yep. the texture is okay, the taste is okay, that's safe. Mm -hmm. um, of course, it has to do with what is available in the wilderness, but also the thing that he just eats that. Mm -hmm. For me, I can imagine an autistic person living in the wilderness with a lot of seclusion and yeah very only certain things to eat like i could see an autistic person getting by better than a lot of non-autistic people would because for me obviously like you know autistic people need community like everybody else yeah but i know for me at least i can get by longer on my own than a lot of people i know yeah or 
if I only, like, if I'm alone a lot of the time and then my main connection is, like, when I head to a village to be like, hey, come get baptized, like, I could see that being, like, I would <laughs> I would have enough social fulfillment to then go back into the desert and do my weird thing all by myself out there with my camel hair shirt. <laughs> yeah, and that, that is recharging enough to have those really intense mm-hmm. connections with people kind of baptizing them and preaching. Yeah. And that that sustains you for a while. Yeah. And honestly, the the least autistic thing is his camel hair shirt. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking, well, that must be. Is that scratchy or is that really soft? Is that? It's probably scratchy. I think he's wearing it as like the way penitents in the Bible will put on okay. coarse sh- clothing. Yeah, I guess either. I mean, it's part. It might be just part of how he is and acting out his religion that for him that discomfort can lead him towards holiness. Mm-hmm. Or it could be maybe he is hyposensitive because some autistic people, instead of being hypersensitive, are hyposensitive. Maybe for him, the feeling of the hair isn't that bad. Like maybe he barely feels it because that's true for some autistic people. Yeah. (laughs) So either way. (laughs) I had that thought too, having your, 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 your safe clothes or your same clothes that you wear every day. Or that can you want to buy 20 pieces of the same yep. <laughs> shirt or trousers because they just feel good. Yeah. I can't imagine that with a camel shirt, but... Um, no. <laughs> I can imagine that with kind of uh, ancient linen and so the stuff that we imagine that Jesus wore, that that must feel really nice and cool in a hot climate. And Yeah, and no tags. Yeah, no tags. <laughs> uh, but I just think about, like, you're a priest and your son is kind of living outdoors and snacking on locusts and you mm-hmm. just are totally behind him and proud and his name is John. And Yes, yeah. And like we mentioned before we started recording, mm-hmm. that to the people around them, um, they might just sort of assume that John is a Nazarite mm-hmm. or another kind of, like, that Judaism does have certain options for, like, almost sort of, like, culturally approved um, experiences of, of like neurodivergent experiences. Yeah. So it might help that you know if someone's like uh, Zechariah, where is your son? Why is he running around in the desert? He could just be like, oh, it's part. You know, it's how he lives out his faith, and people that would be socially acceptable. Yeah. And I mean, ideally, in our own time, if someone is like, hey, why is your kid doing that? And your response is, oh, well, they're autistic. It's just the way they are. Yeah. Like that. That should be just as socially acceptable. Like, oh, okay, that's fine. Like. And nobody should have you tried essential oils or have you tried right, uh, yeah have you have you tried ABA therapy to get your kid to stop rocking like yeah. instead of just being like oh okay well like I I asked if they why they were rocking because I was worried they were upset but you, it, they're fine okay cool then I'm not gonna try to interfere that's totally chill and uh, what I also liked was when we were talking about um, like this, this whole fan fiction of Jesus and John growing up together. Yeah. And kind of Jesus being also really supportive of his weird cousin yeah. <laughs> as the only one who gets me. And one day I will be kind of do cool stuff like that too and walk around the country. <laughs> and uh, kind of we were we were like musing over the idea that Jesus would give him kind of a selection of, of locust recipes and to, to kind of... Yeah. <laughs> Take good care of yourself and mm-hmm. do your thing and I'm behind you and this is this is cool. Yeah, and yeah, I just love imagining them growing up together. Like there's a lot of like especially like Renaissance art that shows 
John and Jesus growing up together. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And in the Bible, we don't we don't get those stories. But yeah. so yeah, instead we get to make them up on our own. The the Bible fan fiction, and it just yeah, seeing them as doing their like growing up together and and um, yeah, running around together doing weird stuff that no one else understands, but they completely understand each other and have that autistic joy yeah yeah (laughs) yeah and then it makes sense like of course that's the person that jesus wants baptizing him yeah yeah doing that really significant thing i i just realized when we were were talking about this uh amazed or like this shaken this word that that is probably something that i will have to do an episode about too about that experience of yeah causing like what is that to be shaken that autistic people or neurodivergent people or in general people who share their marginalized experience, they, they shake people. Yes. And that can have like, that can be people start to think people start to what's the word turn around or like this, this, um, this word that is used in the Bible too. Yeah. To turn away from what they've been doing and turn towards God. Yeah. But it can also lead to aggression or to ridicule or to yes. being ignored and to see that in other people that you somehow shake them without actually doing anything. Yeah. That that is something that why I relate so so much to many biblical biblical figures. They because they express that experience or it is talked about and mm-hmm. Even when you said when the angel came to Zechariah, the angels must be so weird <laughs> that they always have to kind of be not afraid. Yes, yes. <laughs> fear not. I should I should make a badge with that says fear not. I'm just I'm just I'm just autistic and queer and everything. Just yes, nothing to worry about. <laughs> be not afraid. I'm just trans and autistic. I can't hurt you. I won't. <laughs> that the angels always, like the biblical angels, always also have to um, regulate other people's mm-hmm. emotions. But they're they're angels. That's okay. But yeah, humans should. Yeah, shouldn't have to. We're not that different. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're not kind of floating eyes and wings. And... Yeah, like fiction likes to portray us as robots and aliens, but we're not actually robots and aliens. Yeah, no, we're actually <laughs> human beings. Yeah, good point. Yeah, now this this would be a good good uh, point to kind of come to the autistic joy part again. And mm-hmm. my first autistic meetup was in Edinburgh uh, in May two thousand nine. Wait, two thousand. Wow, eighteen. But I I went to Edinburgh where really really amazing people. Uh, Sonny Hallett and Fergus Murray were organizing the uh, Autistic Pride Edinburgh. They managed to get the um, Scottish government building to raise the neurodivergent flag. It was the first government worldwide to, to raise that flag. Oh, nice. Wow. And it felt like, it really felt like, this is easy. <laughs> this is easy. Why? Where, where was this all the time? Why didn't I have access to this? Mm-hmm. And feeling of, oh, this is how other people feel all the time that are in the majority. Yeah. And then to feel like I have absolutely no problem socializing with people, talking to people I've never met, making instant connections. And yeah. with, with Artscape, it was even more having 200 people for four days and 
feeling like you you heal from stuff you didn't even know you needed healing your body yeah. starts to walk in a way that feels more natural you 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 your face relaxes because you don't have to mask all the time mm-hmm. and you feel like i see people looking and behaving the way that i was taught it's not okay and now my body is reclaiming that mm. like it's it's just happening and i start to stim and um that feeling of that that kind of connection I'm still looking for a word that is kind of the positive equivalent to trauma, kind of a real, something really impactful and, but, but in a... Oh, I get what you mean. Yeah. It like changes the rest of your life and causes you, like changes the way you think forever after, but in a positive way. I see what you mean. Yeah. 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 (laughs) And the most terms for that are actually religious when I, when I think about it, it's kind of like this epiphany or something like oh mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and um throughout my life when i've become friends with people who turn out to be autistic and um then this the feeling of you, you kind of merge together and when you do projects with people who are you of your neurotype or similar neurotype and this feeling of this is so great this is ping-ponging and we're like, like I feel when I when we zoom and talk about nerdy stuff and theological stuff and yeah, we just like feed each other's energy and feed each other's ideas, um, and yeah, being really giddy and excited about yeah. our <laughs> our mutual special interests and stuff. Yeah, and this is this is something so precious, and I understand why people call it autistic oxygen mm-hmm. because it feels so it it's life giving and it's mm-hmm. um, you get giddy and 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 yeah, and it. Like, I feel like to be autistic and not have the moments of, like, of connection with other autistic people, you kind of forget that you're slowly suffocating. Yeah. Like, and then once you get the encounter with autistic people, you're like, oh, yeah, this is what breathing feels like. It feels good. It feels organic. <laughs> when you don't have it, then you understand why you're feeling bad. That, like, mm-hmm. now I can name it. Yes, yes. Like, you're finally able to notice when you're missing something instead of thinking oh i guess this is just what life is like <laughs> yeah 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 for everyone sure this is just life this is how it is yeah just throw in the pop cultural references now yes because yeah <laughs> avery has um got me addicted to uh star trek like my like the the uh gate gateway drug to star trek for me is uh like ds9 deep space nine and it's the best it's the queerest star trek series <laughs> so so queer and well it was the queerest until i think now the new star trek has canonically queer queer characters but yeah before that <laughs> but for the time and with what they were allowed to do how they were pushing yes, like yes. the limits mm-hmm. and of course it has sexism it has it's Ugh. problematic in some points but it's it's for the 90s the way disability is dealt with, the yeah. way neurodivergence is portrayed, the way queerness kind of creeps in. Mm-hmm. And just spe- I was so much speculating about how much the creators of those characters knew that they, they must be autistic. The experiences they describe in those, in those alien characters, and I've only watched DS9, I haven't even started with Spock or with Data, or mm-hmm. they, they are so... They're resonating so much with with many autistic people, right? Yeah, uh, and it's the '90s. I mean, I've googled that Rain Man, the, the film Rain Man, that brought a really problematic film, but it yes. brought the the term autism 
more in a broader public awareness. Yeah, that was eighty nine, and Deep Space Nine started like ninety three or something. Mm -hmm. So you have Odo, a character that is a changeling who is literally masking, yes, who assumes human form just to just to communicate, and he was cut off from his species that is the the great link where they all merge into each other and that feeling of merging is something i think autistic people experience when they're yeah. amongst themselves and when we're really connecting and vibing yeah and um to not have that how painful that is and how yeah and like you're saying like for a lot of his life, he didn't know that's what he was missing because he didn't know about his species. He, yeah. he thought of himself as the only one of his kind until yeah. until later in his life. Um, and now that he knows what it's like to be linked, it's hard for him not to be. Yeah, um, yeah. He misses it because now he knows how, like, why it's so difficult for him to communicate with humanoids, as he calls non-shapeshifter changelings. Yeah. And then you have, of course, the wonderful Dr. Julian Bashir, <laughs> who is um, probably autistic ADHD coded. Yeah, and he, yeah, he is like the most closest to canonically autistic that mm -hmm. we get. Yeah, yeah. And who has a, like a whole um, storyline about being genetically enhanced, having parents not like accepting him, his neurodivergence as it was. Yeah. Which is characterized as not being, uh, not keeping up with the other children of his age, right? And his um, his parents arguing that, yeah, you had to understand the pressure mm -hmm. and the, the the fear, the mother telling the fear of being told I did something wrong. Yes. And then in the in the older storyline, also his basically his father slash ABA um, instructor uh, uh, says, yeah, there was pressure. I had to make progress with you and. You weren't responding to niceness, so I had to do things that traumatized you. Yeah. You, you have to, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you should be grateful. You should be grateful that I traumatized you, otherwise you couldn't Ugh. speak and complain about it, which is exactly what ABA people say, and that is horrible. This is a really horrible narrative. Right. Yeah, but the the thing that I wanted to mention is, yesterday I watched an episode after which I... I had to talk to Avery and kind of... Yes, we we Zoomed for, what, like an hour because it's such a good episode. <laughs> and it, it, was, it was about... Th those uh, metaphors and analogies never hold up completely, right. but they, they depict partial experience of neurodivergent people. Yes. And the right. one that they depicted there was other genetically enhanced people, which is illegal uh, in the Star Trek universe. But um, Julian meeting them first as a doctor but then realizing oh this is the first time in my life i really connect to people yes and i really feel like those are my people and yeah realizes how yeah. he didn't have that before he still values his friendship with his non-mutant friends very much but he feels like i've never experienced it before and this is awesome and and they're portrayed a bit like savants right. or like right. what I would call like pattern spotting. And they kind of figure out stuff that nobody else figures out on the station and Julian joins them. Yeah. The, this feeling that Julian describes with being kind of in so such a connective flow with other people. Yes. That that yeah. would, I, is what I would describe uh, autistic joy and autistic 
oxygen and yeah suddenly he like he explains how normally when he's talking to people like his co-workers on the space station he has to like slow down when he has an idea and explain step by step things that for him he figures out in like a like in a heartbeat mm-hmm, um mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, and he's used to it except now he has this experience with these people who are like him yeah. where they can just they all kind of are on the same page yeah. and so it's hard for him to sort of readjust to going back to not having that with his other his co-workers and his friends and i like that that flipping of that narrative because neurotypicals tend to portray it that way that autistic people need to explaining yeah and we just don't get it and we don't mm-hmm. understand why people do stuff and we don't read the room and we, if we weren't there it would be much faster and people would just go we we slow them down and to, to flip that narrative into saying no you normals you neurotypicals you you slow us down and you um yeah <laughs> yeah and like both can be true but it does part of it is like it's society that makes it a bad thing that different people have different ways of communicating and that so sometimes we are going to slow each other down yeah that like that doesn't have to be a bad thing yeah. society makes it a bad thing and so for those of us who are normally considered the burdens in that regard it's really really freeing to be in a space where yeah we're with other people and so we don't have to worry about that in the same way i had at my first allscape i had the experience of there was a theater group uh performing at allscape they had one non-autistic actor Mm -hmm. and we all went to the pub afterwards and a whole like 20 autistic people and non, one non-autistic person. Oh my gosh. And I was asking him how he felt and he said, yeah. he feels really weird and watched and this is really strange. Um, yeah. And it was kind of, now the tables have turned. Yes. And, yeah. Um, 2020's Oddscape, there was a panel discussion at the end uh, where there were some non-autistic relatives of autistic people. Um, they were put on this panel via Zoom and had to, we, we were allowed to ask them the questions that like, in those panels, the autistic people get asked. Oh. <laughs> like, how how does it feel not having special interests? How do you, how how are you able to lie? Or how is this, isn't this immoral? Like, yeah. Really, um, <laughs> Why are you so deceptive? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, um, like, that, that you realize it's only, it's really just a minority, majority thing in many yeah. aspects. Yeah. I, and I, I just realized I have, um, used the word neurotypical where I probably should have used allistic. Sure, yeah. Because, yeah, many... Specifically non-autistic, yeah. So let's talk about that feeling of being deprived of that or being uh, even kind of um, partially experiencing Mm -hmm. connection that breaks down at some point. Yeah. Because uh, we decided to revisit a story. Would you like to summarize that story of Of Peter? Jesus and Peter, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, like we've been saying in this episode, Jesus and John the Baptist, being both autistic, they have that sort of uncomplicated connection where they have the exact same neurotype. Now we're going to talk about Jesus and Peter, with Jesus as the autistic one and Peter as having ADHD. So, neurodivergent cousins, which allows them to connect in ways that neurotypicals in the area might not, but because it's not exactly the same wavelength that can also mean they clash sometimes. Yep. Um, and so, yeah, in the story that we're looking at, 
Matthew 16, and then I think it's also in, yeah, in Mark 4, it looks like, where um, Jesus is asking all his disciples, who do you say that I am? And it's in, it's in Matthew where Peter replies, you are the Messiah, you are the Christ. And Jesus's response is, oh, wow, you are... You get me. Yeah, I will now call you Peter because you are the rock on which you build my church. So basically, you got it right, Peter. You understand me in, in a way that other people don't. And I can fall back on you. I can rely on you. Yeah. You're my rock. Yes, yeah. But then... Right after that, Jesus starts explaining what it means to him, what he thinks Messiah means for himself. And it's that he is going to be rejected and suffer and die and then on the third day rise again. Well, that's not Peter's idea of what Messiah is. So he kind of is he free. I don't blame him. He he gets scared and he's like, Jesus, don't say that. You're not going to die. Like, that's not what it means. And so Jesus's response to that is get behind me, Satan, you're a stumbling block now. Like <laughs> You're not the rock that I can lean on, you're the rock that I stumble uh, over. Yeah. This is really, this is, it really just breaks my heart. Yeah, for both of them. Like being insulted and being rejected, and we already talked about the rejection-sensitive dysphoria that both mm-hmm. are experiencing probably at that moment. Yeah. Because you have used that story often kind of as a trans analogy that Jesus yeah. wants to be seen and known and mm-hmm. understood. And, um, the moment when he thinks, ah, oh, this dude finally gets me, uh, then it's kind of, oh no, not not 100%. And right. That moment of joy is tainted. That, that hurts. Yeah. And I don't know about for you, like for me, a big part of being autistic is I experience emotion very intensely. Yeah. So to have that moment of joy and have it be crushed is really, really, really painful. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The, the, the pop cultural reference I made last time we talked about this story, I think, was uh, Troy and Abed mm-hmm. from Community. Mm-hmm. They're so in sync sometimes. And then the, the, the moments when they, they, they're not, they are really brutal. Yes. Because it hurts even more. When I have this like this idea, when you merge with someone, when the flow is so so natural and you're connected with someone, and then they do something that hurts you, there is no barrier, there is no yeah. no layer of protection, and then it hurts even more, and you need to withdraw even more, and that yeah, is, it's like being ripped apart, and yeah, yeah, and to to negotiate that, to know that, and to deal with each other's with your own and with each other's rejection sensitive dysphoria or feeling of I did I hurt that person horribly or yeah that person that person hurt me and now they're hurt that they hurt me and yeah that feels like needs a lot of patience and a lot of experience and a lot of uh, reconciliation and work mm-hmm. yeah it just it takes practice mm-hmm. um, but it's it's definitely worth it because when it, when it does go right it 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 brings that joy and that connection yeah the um the pop culture yeah you can call it pop culture because it was a pop culture phenomenon in the 19th century <laughs> perfect like huge waves of um audience participation in beating up the author and oh my gosh um when arthur conan doyle uh invented sherlock holmes and dr watson yeah he crafted Sherlock Holmes after a real person that was Dr. Joseph Bell in Edinburgh, which was his tutor, mentor, teacher, everything. And that person must have been autistic. Mm-hmm. And the thing that, that Doyle, because at that time he probably thought, 
nobody wants to read medical mysteries, let's make it criminal mysteries. And <laughs> today we have like forensic files, we kind of yeah. combine them. Um, <laughs> sure, sure. Um, with, with Holmes and Watson, the, the relationship ex- is extremely tender and extremely um, loving and caring, which some people read as kind of homoromantic relationship. Yeah. Other people read as a really platonic. Either, either way, it's extremely intimate. Yeah, yeah. And they know each other so well and they, um, they really care for each other. And the moments that they clash and that are really painful to read are when they realize we're not the same. Right. When, they re- when, when, when Holmes feels so understood because nobody has ever given him so much understanding mm-hmm. and nobody has ever tried to reach into his world and understand his way of thinking mm-hmm. uh, like, like uh, John Watson. But the moments when he realizes, oh, he can't follow me here. Yeah. He's too slow or I'm too fast. And that's when they, when they clash painfully and when they hurt each other's feelings. Yeah. Watson is to, to Holmes like Peter is to Jesus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's kind of uh, my bold um, theo- <laughs> uh, theological pop cultural claim uh-huh. for today. Fight me on this. Yes, where they have this very intimate connection and they clash. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it kind of okay with with the magnet metaphor. A magnet. There's the one side that like sticks together, and then sometimes we rotate so that we sort of push apart. Oh yeah. But then we turn back and we come back together again. Yeah. Like when when the people who are hostile anyway don't get me, I'm used to that. Yeah. But when even the people. Who, who put so much effort in and mm-hmm. even when they don't get me then then I'm alone in this moment this feeling yeah. of total isolation with your way of thinking uh, is really painful and yeah that's I think that's part of the reason behind me starting this podcast because having so many theological thoughts and always feeling like somebody else must think like that that yeah and that feeling I want to talk to somebody about that if, if they can follow me there, if that makes sense, or if not, heck, how we can negotiate that. And uh-huh. yeah, to get out of that isolation mm-hmm. of this makes me so happy, this brings me so much joy, this makes so much sense to me, uh, but I don't see anybody else yeah. talking about this. So I feel like I need to show this to people mm-hmm. and see how they react. And it's really precious to me, so yeah. it needs to be yeah friends and yeah and like you doing it and recording it and sharing it can help others also find those connections not only in the present like with people alive now today right with us like friends and family but also reaching into the past and seeing Mm -hmm. in the bible like here's a resonant story here's someone who gets you Mm -hmm. here's an experience of autistic joy yeah yeah this is why why i i fight so much or i defend reading biblical characters or historical characters as autistic so much because mm-hmm. other people get that for granted yeah yeah take it for granted get it for free kind of like they're not saying like i read jesus as neurotypical but it's assumed if you refuse to accept that other people might read jesus as autistic then you are reading jesus as yeah. neurotypical yeah or as cisgender or as straight or whatever or as white like as yeah. white yeah yeah reading biblical stories kind of gives me that feeling of other people have experienced that joy of being autistic, 
being the way I am. Mm -hmm. And other people have experienced that loneliness of why am I the only one seeing it like that? Why don't other people understand me? Mm -hmm. What what you said earlier, like, it's not a choice for me to speak about stuff. It's I need it for survival. And to see that other people that this is not new and I'm not alone with this, neither in time nor in space. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it's still lonely, but it's not It's not unprecedented. It's normal and it's people have written about it and you, you feel less alone. And the moments of connection that we get yeah. through finding each other, talking to each other, being with each other, makes the times apart more bearable. Yeah. It's sort of... Like, you you store it up for those times of isolation. Yes. And I also know that it's not my fault. Mm. It's not that I did something wrong. Yes. But that it's a matter of kind of percentage or a matter of, well, there are fewer of us. (laughs) We are scattered. And we we are forced to hide who we are. Yeah. But we still... Despite all this, we find each other. Mm-hmm. This is this is such an amazing thing. Despite all this, there's magnetism and there's this yeah. recognition and this leaping in the womb. Yes, the leaping with joy. Even when we don't know we're autistic, like, ah, I just, yeah, magnetism. I love it that it's sort of irresistible and natural to find each other. Avery, it's been so much fun. Yes. Thank you so much. It brings me so much artistic joy and oxygen to get to do this. Yeah. And if any one of my listeners has any recommendations or requests or wants to be a guest on this show, uh, on this podcast, yeah, you're really welcome. And if you want to comment on this episode, please feel free uh, if you... Yeah, if you agree or have other examples or if you disagree, just feel free. And yeah, so yeah, thank you all for listening. And thank you, Avery, for being a guest a third time. (laughs) Thank you, everyone. Bye.